Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I am your host, Coach Jason Coop, and this episode of the podcast is all about trekking poles. I have on the podcast today, Nicola Giovanelli, who has a PhD in exercise physiology and biomechanics and is quickly becoming one of the foremost experts in the entire world and how poles affect running economy, hiking economy, and performance. We discuss when, where, and how to train with poles and how to make your races more effective with the use of trekking poles. Nicola currently resides in the Dolomites region of Italy, which is a perfect training ground to practice what he researches. Okay, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Nicola Giovanelli, all about how to use poles to better your performance. All right, so we're going to talk about poles, right? This is all going to be about yeah. poles. We are. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier that you live in the Dolomites, which is, I'm sure, ripe uh, terrain for a lot of pole use. Um, but I want to start this whole kind of conversation off with some of the traditional ways that we look at endurance performance, because I think the way that we think about poles excuse my pun, might be like the polar opposite of how we traditionally view endurance performance. So in in traditional marathon running, there's been this very um, classic uh, equation that's used to predict and determine performance. And it's it's been put in the spotlight a whole lot more recently with Nike's sub breaking two project and the subsequent Ineos uh, 159 project. And it simply states yep. that the velocity in a running uh, event that you can achieve or the speed in, in a running event that you can achieve is a product of the fraction of VO2 max that you can sustain for that duration divided by the cost of running. So how much oxygen or energy it takes to go a given distance. And it's simply math, right? You have yep. the fraction of, of oxygen that you can utilize, fraction of your maximum oxygen that you can utilize. You know how much oxygen it takes to go a given distance. You know, <clears throat> you have you have time and then distance and therefore you have speed. It's, it's, it's actually really elegant. It's pretty easy. It's, yeah. it's, it, it is pretty, pretty elegant and easy. And the reason this was brought to the forefront uh, for the listeners out there uh, in the Nike and the Enos project is that they were looking at optimizing all of these three variables. And my listeners will remember I had uh, Brad Wilkins, who was the head of Nike's Breaking Two Project uh, on the podcast several weeks ago. And we went over some of this in terms of how they tried to optimize those three variables. They brought in the best athletes. So they had the highest VO2 max and the lowest cost of running. And then they worked on different aspects that could further reduce the cost of running, i.e. drafting and the now infamous shoes that have come into the debate and things like that. But traditionally in in running performance, we've always kind of looked at this equation that, that governs how fast you can run. But when we look at it in an ultramarathon situation, that equation, while still true across a certain component of, it, component of ultra running, it starts to fail. 
And that's where I want to start to talk about the use of poles is where that equation starts to fail when we start to talk about ultramarathon performance. So to start out with, what is your viewpoint on that and what those failure points start to look like? Oh, well, um, yeah, you're right. This equation is pretty easy and uh, it seems easy to uh, predict uh, velocity, running velocity for an uh, an event like a uh, marathon or semi-marathon or something like that. Um, but in trail running, uh, it is a bit different. I mean, uh, yes, the VO2 max on the fraction uh, and the cost of running or walking because in trail running, you walk a lot. Uh, they are important, but uh, they are not the only three factors that we have to um take into account for the final performance um a few years ago uh, a group uh, uh, of uh, scientists uh, uh, published a, a nice graph in which they they put all the um factors that affect the the ultra endurance ultra marathon uh, performance and uh, they included uh, the motivational factors uh, equipment and uh, meteorological factors, uh, uh, running patterns, uh, uh, muscle damage, uh, any, any type of factor in a long event can, can, uh, can be very, very important. Uh, of course, physiological factors are important as well, or better, we can train these physiological factors. So we can uh, um, adapt them, we can... Uh, affect them with the with uh, training with specific training and uh, for an athlete who has the the the, um, the aim to win a, a big uh, race for example the ultra trade du mont blanc or uh, the tour de jean it is important to, to maximize all these factors to have an higher uh, vo2 max to uh, increase the fraction of the vo2 max uh, um, during the, the 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 event and to decrease the cost of running and uh, and walking, uh, but not everyone goes to UTMB for uh, winning. The, it, a lot of but ninety nine point nine percent of people are going there for finish the race and uh, to arrive in uh, in um, in Chamonix uh, within the time limit. So for this, uh, um, for these people, uh, it is important not only to um, train these factors. Uh, they should uh, they should uh, train a lot with uh, their mental factors because they have to stay around for uh, 30, 40 hours by walking like zombies sometimes with <laughs> some uh, problems. Uh, uh, gastro gastrointestinal problems or other types of problems and they have to be very very strong so you can have a high vo2 max but if then your mind your uh, brain is uh, say that you have to stop there's nothing to do you have to stop so these physiological factors are very important and we can we can train them but they are not uh, everything uh, regarding the, the use of pause, uh, it is important to say that it affects one of these factors, the cost of running or walking. 
uh, well, my, my research started uh, some years ago uh, with one question, and uh, it was uh, if, uh, is it better to run or walking during uphill locomotion? And uh, because, because this, after this uh, question, we can say that we should use the poles or not. I mean, if uh, running was better than, than walking, probably you don't need to use poles. Because uh, everyone who runs, uh, uh, if try to run with two poles in the in their hands, say, "Oh, I can't use them during running at I don't know uh, ten minutes per kilometer or something <laughs> like that." So um, the 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 first problem was to understand if it was better to run or walking during these kind of races. Uh, in particular during uphill sections because in downhill uh, a lot uh, it's easy to say that i have to run i i want to 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 go faster so in downhill i i have to run but during uphill sometimes when you are uh, racing you are walking uphill and you are faster than some people some other athletes who are uh, running so what is better and we we try to 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 answer to this question in uh, in the uh, laboratory of uh, Dr. Kram uh, a few years ago it was five years ago maybe six well a lot of time ago and um, at the same uh, vertical speed vertical velocity it was better uh, walking when the, the the incline was above about 20 25 percent and. Uh, one point is that if you can walk or if you can run faster than six, seven kilometers per hour, you should run. But no one can run at six, seven kilometers per hour at 25% of, uh, of uh, incline for a long uphill. Okay, so uh, the, the, the answer was that uh, it was better during long uphill, it was better, it is better actually um walking then if it is better walking uh is it better to use poles or not a lot of people use poles um best uh, runner some of the best athletes in the world use poles uh, for example uh, tevenard uh, used poles during uh, utmb um in in particular in in europe maybe in uh, in uh, us it's a bit different because also in ultra trail uh, running race uh, the the speed is higher uh and uh, in some parts it's not uh, so important to have poles uh at least for the top uh, uh, top level athletes but uh, in the in the races in Europe, when uh, there is a lot of uh, elevation gain and when the the, the slopes are uh, quite steep, so the, the the speed is very low, uh, very slow. It's better to it's probably better to use pause. Why? Because we can save some energy during uphill. Maybe not a lot. We we showed the, last year in a new study that uh, uh, with poles on treadmill, and this is a 
is a limitation of the study that we use the treadmill. Um, in, on treadmill, we have only a small uh, save of energy. I mean, it was like four, five percent at um, twenty or twenty-five degrees. Uh, that are about. 40 50 percent of uh, of incline that's really but steep this, just to just to add some yeah. context to the listeners that is a extremely steep grade in the u.s you would be very very hard pressed to find a yeah. course that has that steep of a climb I mean, I, I'm going to come up with a couple of examples off the top of my head. So the Manitou Incline, which is here in yeah, Colorado Springs, Colorado, you, yeah. you know it, right? It's an old railroad grade. It's an old cog railroad grade that is a, at about a 45 or 46 per, uh, percent grade. It, it's, it, it, it's, just, it's just so steep, I guess is what I'm saying. There's only a couple of people in the world that, I, that can actually run the entire few people yeah. in the world that can actually run the entire thing and the entire thing. So your point with that is, is you might see some small energy savings using poles, but only in these really extreme conditions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and this is a, uh, this can be a problem when you have to suggest if uh, an athlete has to use or not poles, because if I have to save only two or 3% of energy, Maybe I say, okay, I prefer to, to go lighter and uh, don't have this uh, pause so that then I have to put my vest or uh, I, I prefer to have my hands free. And But uh, the problem of our study and uh, also of other studies uh, that analyze the use of, uh, of pause is that uh, uh, usually they, they are um, performed only for... Uh, short uh, uh, period of time only maybe five minutes because we we want uh, to reach a steady state in vo2 and uh, vco2 uh, to calculate the the, the energy expenditure and uh, so it is not the real life condition uh, i mean uh, five minutes is not like to run an UTMB and to to climb the last uh, uphill after 30 hours of uh, walking and, and running in the mountains. So this is a, a big limitation of our study. And uh, I, I think that there are not studies in which uh, it is measured the, the difference between the use uh, of poles and not um, after or during the last part of a big event. And this is, a, this is a, a, an idea for a future study. Mm -hmm. uh, because to, to understand if in the first hour, for example, maybe in the first half hill, uh, we can save only 2 or 3% of energy, which is, yes, a top-level athlete, uh, for top-level athletes can be important, but... For a uh, uh, normal athlete, it's like to say, okay, um, I finished the race in 30 hours or in 30 hours and 15 minutes. It's not a, pro a big problem. But uh, maybe at the end of the race, after 20, 30 hours of uh, walking or running, this difference may be not only 2 or 3%, but it might be 10, 15, 20%. So, 
it can it can increase during the race and with the fatigue state of the of the of the athlete. And to try to to answer the, to this question, we are planning to do a new a new study on the, the outdoor, so on a real uh, uh, trail. Um, and maybe we, we can collect more information about about uh, this uh, this topic. It is mm, uh, some uh, recent recent study because uh, in the past uh, the Nordic walking has been analyzed uh, for several um, by several authors. But uh, Nordic walk you you go Nordic walking on the flat or. Uh, Hilly terrain with short uh, um, uphill, short downhill, and not so steep. So it's not uh, the same, and the technique is different. Uh, when you are Nordic are going Nordic walking, use the the diagonal stride like cross country skiing, and um, when you are going to a uh, trail running uh, event or a sky running event, you use a pose like. Yeah. full gas and to push uh, them all your weight and uh, all your uh, all your power so it is a different use of the poles so the the the, the analysis of the nordic walking can be trivial for uh, trail running yeah i th- i think so the research that you described that you did let's go back to that a little bit because i think this ties in with my earlier concept of trying to look at ultramarathon performance through our standard endurance performance lens. So remember I mentioned earlier that in marathon performance, 10K performance, or, or any sort of other traditional endurance event, we look at it through this, from a research perspective, through this very narrow lens of the fraction of VO2 max that you can sustain and the cost of running, which is, which is similar but not the same as running economy. <laughs> You guys are me- measuring the the running or walking economy piece of it in your lab by putting somebody on a ridiculously steep treadmill, 45, 45% grade as we were yeah. mentioning earlier. Ask, 40, 40 degrees. 40 yeah, degrees. Yeah. 40 very, degrees. very steep, yeah. <clears throat> very steep. And asking them to walk with and without poles for five minutes at a sub-maximal intensity and measuring the oxygen consumption and then therefore the energy production between those two two modalities and to uh, and you'll have to forgive me for for trivializing all of the work that you've put into it but but the nickel version of that is is you're finding that poles are generally only more slightly more economical meaning it takes less oxygen less energy at the steepest of grades in almost all other conditions, it's likely the same or they caught they're more expensive, right? They cost, they cost more. And therefore we have to look at ultra marathon performance and the use of poles through kind of a different lens because we're using them not for just five minutes and we're not predominantly obsessed with running economy or the economy impact of those poles, we're looking at performance through a different lens and the impacts that they might have in other areas. Oh, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, 
I, I, I think that this pro we we find this problem in the in our uh, uh, studies or in lab conditions where you cannot uh, measure for a long time. Right. Uh, also on the treadmill, we tried uh, on the treadmill to walk uh, for uh, more than 20, 30 minutes at. Uh, uh, 30 or even 20 degrees but it was very painful for the calves so uh, it was not possible to to do a long uh, uh, steps for long step for for this measurement so we have to take into account also these these things uh, for this reason it would be very for me very uh, important to move out of the uh, of the lab and uh, to get data on the field during the race maybe sometimes if it is possible someone did it two or three years ago during the the uh, Tour de Jean. Um, one athlete uh, wore the the, cave, the metabolimeter for the measurement of the oxygen consumption in different sections of the race uh, at the beginning and then after I don't remember one day, two day, three day, or four day, for uh, for measure the for measuring the the oxygen consumption and to calculate the energy expenditure uh, during this race. And yeah. I, I think the idea was very very nice. I think that if I was the athlete, probably I I say, oh my god, after two days. If anyone, <laughs> I, I can't sleep. I only go walking on the mountains, and one research come to me with a metabolimeter. So, oh, no, what are you doing? What, so, what you're talking, what Stop. you're talking about is 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 something that's inherently problematic with ultra marathon running, and this is determining energy expenditure or oxygen utilization in the field, and. The, the only yeah. so we we used to do this not we but physiologists used to do this a lot of time on the track so they they would put an athlete on a track try to get him in real world condition and the athlete would have the gas analyzer hooked up to their face and for the listeners out there that are not watching the YouTube version of this it's just a mask that covers your nose and mouth it's not it's far more intrusive than the COVID masks that everybody's wearing around. I mean, it's heavy, it's, clum it's clumsy and, and, and everything like that. It's not easy to, to, to breathe out of and it's certainly not natural. But on the track, the physiologist would follow the athlete around in a golf cart because they could keep up with them yeah. in that type of environment. But in the field, the athlete has to be responsible for that piece of equipment, which is normally, what is it, like four kilos or something like that? Four or five kilos, one of those metabolic packs? Uh, yeah, actually the new one probably is a couple, two, two okay. kilos. Okay, so a little yeah. bit lighter? Okay. But, yeah, two to one half, I think. So yeah. you're asking but these... It's not easy. Yeah, no, it's not easy. You're asking these these athletes who are trying to shave weight as much as possible because they're going up and over the mountains to carry around an extra two or three kilos and put this mask over their face while they're huffing and puffing. It's an intrusive way to gather data and it's hard to find subjects that are willing to actually do that for yeah. components of the race. Right. Yeah. This is a, this is a big problem when you are, uh, um, recruiting some subjects for these, for these, uh, studies, because, uh, usually athletes are uh, 
uh, happy to to be involved in these studies because then usually then you you give them the the results so they can uh, they can see if they uh, use more energy or less energy with or without poles. Uh, uh, they they understand that when they are walking uphill they use uh, less uh, energy than when they are running. So maybe then they change their um, their uh, training uh, sessions. Uh, um, some some kind of trainings and they adapt the training uh, on this uh, about uh, uh, on the, uh, based on these uh, on these results so it is for they for for them it's nice to be involved but sometimes i understand i'm also uh, an athlete so i i do some races in uh, in uh, sky running and trail running and uh, sometimes i think someone come to me for uh, try to s- get some data some uh, also for uh, for having my uh, rate of perceived exertion or something like that i could say i'm tired don't talk to me and uh, <laughs> i just want to to go walking running as fast as possible to finish this uh, this uh, this race and then to eat a pizza and to drink a beer <laughs> and to be happy with my with my performance and but, but uh, I, I, I have a double phase since I'm an athlete and a researcher. And sometimes I was in my studies, I was the, the, both the, the researcher and the participant. Right. Uh, and usually, usually I, start, I, I start all my research uh, by trying all the protocols several times because... Uh, uh, after the first time, uh, we have to to change something, to change the intensity, the duration, and uh, we have to change something for uh, better analysis. And so, usually, when an athlete comes to our lab for a for um for a test, uh, I have already tried it about. I think 10, 15 times. <laughs> Perfect. So let, let's put that dual <laughs> athlete and researcher hat on for a second. Because as we were talking about earlier, it's, ha- it's hard to justify the use of polls when you're looking at it through a research lens. If you just look at the research, not that it's an impossible justification, but it's a very hard yeah. justification to look at it through a research lens. Yet I know you use polls copiously. Everywhere, all of your peers in the Dolomites, you're going to see polls everywhere. You see them all okay. over the UTMB course. You see them all over Tour de Giant. I use them the entire time when I did Tour de Giant. So the athletes know that they're getting some benefit. They figured it out in advance of the research. Otherwise, you wouldn't see it that prevalent, right? Because I, I would say that the 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 prevalency of the use of polls kind of leads us to believe that there's some benefit there. In absence of the research, what would you say would would be the potential benefits of using polls in any ultra marathon situation? Uh, well, well uh, I think that. Uh, uh a big point is played by the rate of perceived ex- exertion. Uh, even if the, in the, uh, from a scientific point of view, we have only a small difference between the use and not of poles. Uh, we have seen that um, 
with a five minutes, with only five minutes of, of uh, trial, there is a difference in the rate of perceived accession that is uh, important between the use or not of pulse. And uh, the, this, this uh, difference probably is bigger and bigger uh, when uh, uh, the duration is longer. So uh, from a mental and uh, um, also from the perceived um, effort, it is important to use pause, probably because of uh, different reasons. Uh, one is the um, is a better balance uh, while you are walking, and uh, when you are walking uh, uh, at slow speed, you use more energy for balance. Uh, than when you are walking at higher speed or when you are running. Uh, so if you are walking uphill and in a fatigue state, you are walking up at one kilometer per hour, maybe two kilometers per hour sometimes. Uh, during the Tour de Jean in the uphill, one kilometers per hour. If is, you're lucky. I think it's, <laughs> yeah, you have a strong one. There are many times, after. there are many times that turned is, there are many times that turned is yacht where I was well under one kilometer per hour. I can, I can completely attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, at that speed, uh, 12 poles, it's very important to save energy for balance. I think, um, otherwise, uh, I'm, if we try to stay uh, in a upright position for doing a, I don't know, a squat uh, with a, a single leg squat with or without pulse, we can understand the difference. We are doing, a, if we do a single leg squat uh, with pulse, it's very easy to keep the balance and to uh, to extend the leg when I have to, to, go, to go up. Uh, if I don't have pulse, I have to adjust my balance. So I, I, I use a lot of energy for this. And it is almost the same when you are walking at one kilometer per hour. Uh, you are walking so slow that you, you, you are in a single uh, leg stance uh, for a long time. And to have uh, one, two more uh, uh, points, uh, it, it can be... Uh, can be important for save for save uh, energy. That's a really good and, analogy, uh, by the way. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that. That's a really really good analogy. Yeah, and the the other things is that uh, with pulse when we are when we are walking up with pulse, we can share the energy, the effort between uh, upper and lower limbs. I think this is important. Um, when we are going uphill pretty fast, for example, I don't know, during a vertical kilometer, uh, it's uh, 30, 40, 50 minutes full gas. So you use actively your uh, arms for uh, pushing. It's like uh, cross-country skiing. So uh, you can you can uh, share the effort between uh, the legs and arms. Uh, and to save energy in your, uh, uh, in your um, lower limbs. Uh, so even this is important. Uh, unfortunately, it is difficult to quantify uh, how much you you push with your uh, upper limbs or with lower limbs. There are some studies in in, in which they stu uh, auto studied the um, 
the um, the effort during a uh, cycling exercise with only legs or with legs and arms or with only arms for example you have to do 200 watts only with legs uh, 200 watts with arms and legs and they understand that, that it is possible to understand that if you use pause for uh, um, to 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 do the same power output you can uh, you can uh, divide the work between up and upper and lower uh, limbs so this is the second point to me uh, balance and uh, the this uh, work uh, between uh, between uh, upper and lower limbs are most important points for uh, trail running as, as well for for suggesting to an athlete to use pause during uh, during long uh, long races and, and here's the hesitation that I think a lot of athletes, particularly in North America, I always get a kick out of whenever um, North American athletes go over to Europe for the first time. This isn't happening quite as much recently because there's like so much video footage that people can get indoctrinated with before they go over there. But when they go over there, they're always amazed at how like how much they see athletes use poles in Europe as compared to the U.S., and like I said, slowly that's starting to not be the case, but they're always kind of shocked. But still, the the athletes, particularly here in the U.S., they get very hesitant around using poles. And it kind of falls into two, two categories that I want to explore next. One is related to what we had just talked about earlier. They're afraid of the economic penalty, right? The effort penalty, either yeah. either by using their arms, they think it's a less economical or less efficient source of locomotion, or by just carrying them around, you know, and it's an extra eight ounces or six ounces or something like that. And they don't want to lug that kind of up and down hills. And the second one is if you don't have enough time to practice with them, and this is this is extremely important here in the U.S. where there's not – a lot of people live in urban areas. They don't have access to mountainous trails and things like that, yet they're going they're going to go over to UTMB and they're going to go and compete in this mountainous environment. And should they actually introduce this, this additional – uh, this is yeah, yeah this the use of poles or it's additional piece of equipment when they when they haven't had it when they haven't actually used it so i'm going to lead off with what i think about the first piece and you can follow up with it i don't think that the economic penalty even if there was one and we mentioned earlier this is hard to study it's hard to get people to run around with portable metabolic analyzers in the field and things like that but i don't think the economic penalty for either carrying the poles or using the poles or both is really all that important in ultramarathon running. And, and here's why it's because the, the exercise is at such a low intensity. If you need a even in the worst case scenario, if you need to command a little bit more oxygen to use poles, it's not that material at the end of the day, as opposed to our marathon situation or to our marathon situation that you were talking about earlier, if you're going to use two or three or four or 5% more oxygen or energy at those intensities, that becomes material to the velocity that you can achieve. But ultramarathon athletes, when they're exercising at like 50 or 60 or 65% of their VO2 max, they've got room to spare. 
they've got literally they have oxygen to spare that they can pull into the system that's not really material to the effort that they're the effort that they're trying to command. What else can we say about this this potential uh, economic penalty that a lot of runners are fearful of? Is it that big of a deal? Uh, actually, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that uh, the cost of running and walking um, is uh, important for the final final performance. But in a long, long race, there are so many factors that are uh, important that probably to have uh, 100 grams more is not so it's nothing. I mean, uh, people are going to race with a smartphone and with a power <laughs> bank like that, and with uh, sport boats that is more easier than the poles. Yeah. So what you're saying, Why? if you're really, if you're really worried, because yeah. they have to put on Strava. Yeah, that's correct. So you're saying so, if the people are worried about the weight, they could get rid of their GPS watch and get rid of their phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is not the problem. Uh, the problem probably is uh, can be the time the, um, that you have for training, the, based on the location where you live. Or this is uh, this is a problem, but you can train with poles uh, um, in uh, uh, also in the gym if you want, um, doing a step up and down or. Uh, something I have there masters with poles or uh, I don't know in the treadmill or uh, if, if a person wants to try to, to use it and to prepare for a UTMB uh, with poles I think uh, you can find uh, um, a way to do it uh so let's let's hold on some, Let, let's talk about the preparation then we'll get we'll get into yeah. that because we have a race over here. I don't know if you got to go out to this race when you're up in Boulder, but the Leadville Trail 100 uh, in Leadville, Colorado, it uh, has this very... I did the marathon. Okay, you did yeah. the marathon. Okay. The the 100-mile race has this unique feature in it that I'm not aware of another race where you can actually do this, but they uh, encourage pacers to mule their runners. So they can carry everything. The pacers can carry their food, yeah. their water, their equipment, their headlamps, backup, you know, jackets and all this other stuff. And it's kind of an homage to the mining heritage in that area where the burrow, the mule, right, is this um, is this is this respected creature of the of the region because they were so important to the to, to the landscape. And one of the one of the things that that emanates from this aspect that pacers can mule their runners is with poles and runners can think that they can, they can kind of get away with using poles premature to their training program. So they use poles like without even having, you know, trained with them or anything like that because they can always give them off to their pacer. And so every year I'll sit up in the middle of hope pass, which is kind of the high point of the course. And I'll watch these runners come up the climb with their pacers who you can tell have never 
used poles in their entire life. They're stepping on them. You know, it's going in between their legs. They're tripping on it. They stab their toe with the end of the pole. They don't have the carbide tips put in. They're using the big rubber tips that are, you know, stock on them from REI and all this and all of these other things. And they think that they can get away with it because all they have to do is just, if they, if it gets too bad, they just hand them to their poor pacer for the, you know, and have them carry it up the rest of the climb. But there is a training implication here, as, as, as I guess is I guess what I'm saying. What for athletes that are realistically thinking about using poles in a race, in your opinion, like how much should they be training with them in advance of the event, and maybe what is like the minimum amount that they can get away with? This is a really hard question, by the way, to answer. I struggle with this all, <laughs> yeah. all the time as a coach. Uh, uh yeah it is difficult to answer to this question because uh first of all we have no data for uh, for uh, answering to this question uh so i think it is a matter of uh, experience um by the athletes and also by the coach usually with my with the athlete that i'm coaching uh if they use pause, I suggest them to use um, during uh, the long, the long uh, training in the mountains when they go for more than two or three hours. Mm, so usually they use uh, once a week, once uh, every two weeks. And uh, I have also some uh, some athletes who started to use pause after. Uh, after I started to coach them. And uh, this is a bit different because they think that it is very difficult to use pose because usually they, they look at Nordic walking techniques. So uh, they uh, they think that they have to do a diagonal stride, a perfect diagonal stride and to, to stay upright. And But it's not like that. Usually when they start, they have just to go walking in the mountains with poles uh, every time that they can go in the mountains. Uh, and then after probably one, two months uh, that they use poles, they are pretty economic. I mean, if, if I have to race tomorrow and I have never used poles, it's not a good idea to start <laughs> to use poles tomorrow. Uh, but if I have to do a race in two or three months and I start today uh, to use poles and I use them two, three week, three times a week for the next two months, I think that the day of the race, I can use poles. Maybe is I'm not so nice to see for a photographer or a, uh, for the video maker during the race. But probably my 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 walking is pretty efficient. So uh, my suggestion is to use them uh, at least one uh, at week uh, during long training. And sometimes during the winter, during the general uh, preparation, I use poles also for uh, some uh, specific training with, for example, jumping with poles or during uphill or something like that. But it's just for doing something different and just go running and uh, interval training uh, only by running or walking uh, uphill. Uh, So I say, okay, go with poles and uh, 
go to do 10 times uh, 30 seconds by jumping with you with your pose uh, uphill and then uh, you go for one hour of trail in the in the mountains and but what you're saying is for the for the for the for the people who probably don't have access to use poles a lot even if you can get in one to two sessions per week for six to eight weeks in advance of the race, you might not look pretty. It might not look that good in a photo or in a video, but, <laughs> but still it would be a good intervention to put in for the race. And I generally agree with that because I, I coach a lot of athletes that live in the Midwest, that live in a lot of flat areas and they get opportunities to use poles like when they do training camps or races and th- or things like that. And so if they get out to three or four races a year, like training types of races a year before their big race, and we can use poles either in a yep. training camp or at those races, those serve as enough minimum, like a min- uh, enough of a minimum amount of training that the race isn't a total junk show and they're still going to and they're still going to serve some benefit from it. And I also kind of salient to how athletes should actually incorporate like the use of poles that aren't, that aren't used to them. I also completely agree with you that when you start out, just use them. Don't worry about how I need to time my foot strike or am I going to use a double polling technique or whatever. Just get out in the mountains and use them and try to get it to the point where you're comfortable enough that it's not a negative. And then once you've gotten used to that, then you can work work on really specific and efficient steep uphill techniques, steep rocky techniques and things like that. But just don't overcomplicate it at first, I guess is what I I usually advise people. Yeah. uh, uh, So because when you use pause during trail running, it's not like to use pause during cross country skiing. It's not like double pulling during cross country skiing where you have to push with uh, all your power and uh, in trail running, uh, pause are, uh, um light and uh, uh you can't use them like that because uh they crash so <laughs> it's too uh, much torque <laughs> i mean uh you, you have to use more for balance that's kind of the intimidation factor though nicola i mean when they look at really experienced trail running athletes that have a cross country skiing background use poles it's so fluid and elegant and they look at that and go, Oh, I can never do that. When the reality is it doesn't have to be that elegant and fluid, at least in our opinion, we'll let the research tease this out 15 years from now. In In our opinion, it doesn't have to be that elegant and fluid to have a positive benefit on their performance. Yeah. Uh, the, to be elegant is nice for pictures and uh, videos, but for the performance, it's, it's trivial. I mean, just wait, uh, just wait. I've so- seen some uh, some subjects where uh, um, that are uh, running or working with poles, and you say, "Why is he doing? Is he using poles?" And then probably is one of the fastest guy in the world with poles, and is so ugly to see, to see because but that's not the problem the point yeah you know this just from your biomechanics background we already overanalyze running technique 
to ad nauseum, like, oh, okay, your foot should strike in exactly this pattern and your heel should come up this way and this should be the angle during flight and all this stuff. We already get like way too OCD about having perfect running mechanics, especially in the road running world. Just wait till that comes to to using polls, it'll never be able to find the, the find those answers. But I think the bottom line is, is it can be a little ugly. It can look a little ugly on the surface and it's probably, it's probably of a, of a, of a, of a, of a benefit still at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. We've, we've got uh, this, uh, we've got this training component where we're saying, okay, if you, if you are going to use polls and you don't have a lot of availability to use them, a minimum of about six, maybe eight weeks, a couple times a week is probably enough to do the trick. What, yeah. what are some of the advanced types of training techniques that you're, that you're either using with your athletes or that you think might start to emerge that could be important for ultra marathon performance? Like what are those things that maybe the, like the top level athletes are doing with polls that could be the difference in their in, in them winning a race and them not winning a race. Uh, you, you mean the uh, with the athletes that I'm coaching? Yeah, either the athletes that you're coaching or something at like the very tip of the spear, the most elite of the elite athletes that are out there. And I'm thinking things like using them on the downhills or being more selective or using a different type of technique, depending upon the terrain. Like what are the, some of the things that you're, that you're using for the very, very experienced athletes that are out there? Okay. First of all, it's important to say that, uh, when we talk about technique in trail running is not so easy because it depends from the terrain, from the, trail if it is an uneven terrain or uh, if it is a, a smooth terrain uh, if it is a um, rocky or if it is a i don't know grass terrain yeah, 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 yeah. so it is difficult to to say what you said um, earlier about the technique of trail running it's not like road running in which we have a lot of information to 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 use for uh, going for for going faster or uh, to be uh, nicer to see and so um, I think this is the first point and uh, the technique during training is important and the the best practice I think is to to train on the on the terrain uh, I mean that. If an athlete from US has to to raise the UTMB, he can he can prepare the UTMB in US. But uh, the specific terrain that you find in in uh, UTMB is not the same. Or uh, maybe some uh, more technique technical uh, technical races, for example in, in sky running or uh, um, maybe in trail running also the the Lavaredo Ultra Trail. It's a bit uh, more technical, not too much, but more technical than uh, than uh, UTMB. So you have to take this uh, uh, situation into into account when you are uh, designing the training sessions and when you are approaching the race. It is not easy because it depends even uh, from wh- where you live, and uh, 
it is not easy to find uh, runners uh, that can move for going uh, to the mountains every week if they uh, if they live in the in the in the flat. So um, I, I think that uh, uh, even with top runners, uh, it is difficult to um, sometimes sometimes it is difficult to find uh, the best way to um, to train them for a specific uh, for a specific event and uh it is important to have a lot of feedback from them yeah. and uh yeah to see maybe them to see them during a video analysis or during a race and to see some videos of the race to understand if after three hours or four hours of race uh they can do downhill they can run downhill uh in an efficient uh, way uh, as the first hour they were doing so uh, and then we can we can adopt some strategies to to improve that for example the downhill um, pattern running pattern um, for improving the the performance but it is not easy to have these informations and uh, i think that it is important to get these informations from after the trainings or uh, races of these athletes and about the use of pause i think another point it is okay i, I train with pause for going uphill but i have to to bring them downhill as well so uh is it better for example to carry on the vest or to keep in my hands and uh for example, if I am a good uh, a good runner in downhill sections, and uh, I want to take some more risk in downhill sections, I cannot have my my hands like that with pause, and I need to to be free uh, because if I want to run faster, uh, I I need to have my hands free if I fall down or if I have some problems, and so uh, it is important. To understand that pulse uh, and training, it is um, uh, it is important to do trainings uphill, but we have to take into account the, the downhill as well. And sometimes athletes uh, uh, don't think about this. And uh, downhill is the 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 terrain where uh, you have more muscle damages. You have uh, more uh, fatigue on, in your muscles, uh, both central fatigue and the peripheral fatigue. So uh, we have to put all together and to analyze what is better for uh, for an athlete and uh, which points, which factors are important to train more than others. So you bring up a really good point about when to use, when to stow, and when to put the poles aside. One of the things that I've found that I have found really fascinating, particularly over the past few years, with the incredible video coverage that they do at UTMB, they do it better than any other race where they have cameras on the runners across yeah. almost yeah. all of the races all the time. It's 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 awesome. Is the lead runners, and I think very more in particular the lead runners that know the course really well, they know exactly when they're going to use their poles for the uphill, Yeah, when they're going to just store them by their side 
and just carry them because they're going to use them again very quickly or when they're going to fold them up and store them somewhere else to your point earlier because they want to take a little bit more risk on the downhill. You you can if you look at it through a really keen eye, you can see they know exactly what to do in all of those situations in order to maximize their time. However, most runners, we keep coming back to like the most normal runners, right? Yeah. They're not in that <laughs> <Yeah>. situation. They're <laughs> not in the risk-taking situation that a lot of the elite runners are. They're more concerned about like saving their legs to use a colloquial saying, right? They don't yeah. want they don't want to bomb their quads or however, you know, whatever other phrase phraseology that 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 we use for that. And part of part of the way that or part part one of the mitigating strategies for saving your legs is to use poles on the downhill and particularly the smoother, steeper downhills where there's not a lot of obstacles in the way and things like that, where you can use the poles as almost like a shock absorber, uh, absorber against the eccentric activation of the, of the, of the muscles. And back to our earlier point where, where do we incorporate that into the training strategy? Personally, I always leave that last. If I have a new runner with poles, I just tell use them on the uphills and use them where you're comfortable. And then once you're comfortable, yeah. we'll think about using them on the downhill because it's one of those it's one of those things where your penalty for failure is high, but it's also the most uh, it's the most demanding from a coordination standpoint because you're moving yep. faster, you have to reach the pole out a little bit more to actually get the shock absorption and things like that. What do you like what do you think about that? What do you think about introducing downhill polling technique to runners? Uh, usually I don't so you <laughs> just like I don't want to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean uh, I I think that as you said it's uh, Sometimes it's more dangerous to use poles downhill than uh, to go without them. So I think that when an athlete uh, is familiar with with the pole, with the poles and uh, uh, with uh, its uh, use, he starts to use them during downhill uh, uh, without my suggestion. I. I think I, I could do it only if I see and I train with my athletes every day or every week. But I'm coaching athletes for uh, uh, from uh, North Italy, South Italy, from the islands. So I can't I can't see them during training. And uh, uh, yeah, when, when we do some uh, training camp, uh, we try to do poles. Uh, Appeal and downhill, and we, we try to different technique, different uh, uh, also uh, coordination exercises, something like that. But uh, then, if they if they uh, if they don't feel safe uh, to to go downhill with with poles, I don't say them use them because you save uh, your your legs or uh, also. Uh, I remember. Five or six years, maybe six years ago, I I, I was racing in uh, in Tromsø for the Tromsø Sky Race and uh, Sky Marathon, and uh, I, I liked the technical terrain, the downhill, and uh, I was I, I was uh, doing a great race. I was fifth in the in the uh, the middle, and then after one steep downhill, 
when I started this, the the um, the final half hill, I stopped. I completely stopped. My my legs were out of order. They my muscles uh, uh, didn't work anymore. <laughs> and uh, I I when I reached the the top. I sit down, eat, drink, and then I started again. And every two minutes, every 50 meters of downhill, I had to stop to sit down and I was crying. And I was thinking why I, I, I didn't use pause during this race, <laughs> during in these sections. And it was crazy. It was like, I, 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 I had a, a big, training volume on uphill and downhill, but I didn't train a lot on very, very steep downhill. It was like, I don't remember the, the, the incline, but I think it was like uh, 50 or 60% of downhill. Yeah. And uh, my legs were out at, at, at the end. I, I was only crying and uh, I say, okay, I don't come back here. I, I, <laughs> I thought to be good at training and uh, racing and running, but uh, I then I understood that I said, okay, maybe I have to train more and uh, different in a different way and by using maybe pause sometimes. Well, and that I mean, g- using kind of the opposite end of the analogy spectrum as you as you did. So I used a pair of fixed length poles the entire time for Tour de Giant. So I never put the them fixed, fixed, fixed length pole. So yeah, one leg, yeah. one leg just for the listeners out there, you can't fold them up and stow them away. So I always had them out. I always used them uphill, downhill. There was one 50 kilometer section where I didn't use them at all, but that's a very small part of that race. One fifty kilometer section. Yeah. That's kind of dumb now that I, now that I'm hearing myself say that. But my point with that is, is I viewed the inconvenience that I would have to, uh, that, 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 that I was taking on by not being able to stow the poles being outweighed by the fact that I was just going to use them the whole time uphill, downhill. It's not the most technical course in the world. I very rarely had them out to my side and was just kind of like, you know, bombing downhills because of the, the event was so long. I viewed that through the lens of, as I wanted to save my legs as much as possible I, I think that longer is the race uh, and uh, better is to use pause. I mean, during a Tour de Jean, you even during downhill, you go very slow. Right. So you can use pause right. like uh, break to, to, to help you to break the, to break the, with the, your muscles. And, and uh, so, if you go slow, you can, you should use them. Uh, for example, the opposite is in sky running. If you do a race like up and down during the downhill, you go full gas, even for the, for the normal athlete, right. they go yep. run, they yep. run downhill fast. So during this downhill is not, uh, uh, a good idea to have pulse in the hands. Right. But during long, long events, uh, uh, definitely it's better to have them. Yeah. Well, and thus the going wrapping it right back around to UTMB, where a lot of those yeah. athletes are finishing in over 30, 35, 40 hours. 
they're not going that fast on the downhill with all due respect to those athletes. They're trying really hard. They're doing their best, but from a speed perspective, they're not going that fast down the downhill. And therefore it just presents a better opportunity to use poles on the downhill because the coordination that it requires is just less. The coordination and skill that it requires is just less at those slower speeds. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and and the, in uh, in uh, the trails like UTMB, trails are pretty nice. There are not a lot of uh, right. very technical parts, so you can use your pulse yeah. during downhill. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's wrap it up. This has been fun. We're gonna we would keep going down the anecdote uh, rabbit hole if we did this any longer. Let, let's kind of wrap it up with a few like key points that uh, that that we went over when using poles. For, so first off, let's focus on the trade-off. So fundamentally, we might be trading off economy for some other ultra-running benefit. I'm going to leave that category really broad, right? Whether it's you're saving your legs yeah. or it, it provides an additional propulsive force or whatever. Some other ultra-running um, uh, benefit. And the longer and slower that the race is, the more those benefits will outweigh the costs. What do you say to that? I I, I think that uh, um, longer is the race, more uh, are the benefits of of uh, using them, and uh, uh, then uh, you, you can save energy with other uh, uh, with other um, uh, things. For example. Don't use a power bank of uh, <laughs> five hundred grams, or uh, uh, you can save energy maybe um, by having some uh, technical equipment uh, that is lighter, or uh, also with by using a vest that is comfortable. And uh, there are some studies in which they the author studied the different vest and where to put the the, the bottles for water uh, here or is better the camel bag in the back or so uh, i think uh, at, that every athlete has to to um, to use some uh, uh, something for for doing uh, his best but uh, without thinking about the absolute performance I mean, I, if I go to UTMB, I don't go there for winning. I go there for uh, yeah, for having fun. But I want to to do a good race. Uh, so I use poles, but I I I, I take the lighter poles maybe because right. I don't want extra weight. Uh, or uh, I use uh, uh, some shoes uh, that are better for me because I tried and I found them. Uh, beautiful for running uh, many, many hours. And uh, uh, so uh, if we, if we put all together, um, we can optimize our performance uh, independently from the level of the athlete. hundred percent. That one athlete uh, that do the, the, that complete the UTMB in 40 hours can be happier than one, that complete in 25 hours, but uh, uh, having uh, problems with uh, nutrition, with uh, equipment, and with a lot of things. So uh, I think the first thing, the first 
goal for uh, every athlete is to find the perfect uh, combination between uh, uh, training, equipment, and uh, uh, race uh, duration because some athletes prefer uh, long races and others shorter races. So, uh, and to, to, to keep all these things balanced uh, to, to, to have, to have fun at the end. Yeah. You're contextualizing the use of the equipment based on the specific situation, which I think is, I think we should do that with every piece of equipment, to be honest with you. That's a whole nother podcast, but so, okay. So that's the first piece is longer. They're generally, uh, more useful. You also have to think about the benefits in terms of the specific context of the event and the athlete and their goals. The second piece on the training doesn't take a whole lot of more is obviously better, right? More training is, is obviously better with poles, but it doesn't take a lot of initial training to get an athlete used to poles several weeks, two to three times a week. That's probably enough in our, in our estimation, in our opinions, our humble opinions to create some, to create the adaptation or to gain the skill necessary to use poles effectively. Yeah. Uh, once a week, it, it is probably uh, enough. I, I don't think that more is better in this case. Huh, okay. I mean, uh, that uh, if we talk about an athlete who is racing in in a vertical kilometer, more is better because he has to push sure. with a lot of power and uh, in the arms. But for trail running, I think that more is better, but uh, not too much. So what you would say is there's like a like a point of diminishing returns that you get to really quickly. So, so, sorry, sorry? Oh, yeah. So what you're saying is is there would be a point of diminishing returns that you get to really quickly, meaning there's it's almost like a threshold. Once you get to this threshold of pole use or pole adaptation, anything above that is only fractionally more, very, very fractionally more beneficial to the runner. Uh, uh, I think it is difficult to find that threshold right. for this, but yeah. uh, I think that uh, probably one training one training per per week is enough. Uh, even because I don't want to use uh, the time that I I need for uh, improving other uh, other mm. other aspects of my training. For example, I don't want to use uh, uh, time for pole walking. Uh, in an athlete who can use them uh, well, uh, if I need to improve uh, his uh, aerobic threshold, for example, so uh, then I can combine these aspects and to train the aerobic threshold with uh, with or the anaerobic threshold with pulse. But uh, I think that if I have to to suggest an uh, a duration or a training volume with poles, I suggest once a week, uh, three hours, two, three hours during the long, uh, the long, uh, the long run. And then it depends because if the long run is on uh, an easy terrain with uh, not a lot of appeal or steep appeal, go without poles. If uh, you have, uh, if you go for only maybe one hour, but you do uh, 1000 meters in four kilometers, then you use poles also during this, this training, because it is steep, you will go, uh, slow. So it is necessary to train by walking with poles. 
But if you go for a run uh, on, uh, uh, when I was in Boulder, I, I thought that, yeah, in US it's very easy to run on trails because <laughs> they are being. It's like to be on highway compared to Dolomites. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, it depends even from the terrain, right? Well, okay. So let's, let's, we're going to be, we were in the wrap up, but we're going to go down another rabbit hole. If you'll indulge me for a little bit on this. Um, I can totally get on board with once a week we can, there's a minimum threshold and I probably overstated the more is better. I'm thinking more of in a context of an athlete who doesn't have a lot of access to using poles, but if they live in the Dolomites in your area of the world, obviously you could easily not, maybe not overdo it, but it just becomes frivolous at that point. But you brought up a point that I absolutely agree with that the adaptation process to using poles shouldn't interfere with the rest of the work that you're doing. So if you're working on their threshold or their VO2 max or overall this, that, or the other, you shouldn't be incorporating this piece of equipment to the detriment of those areas because they're still important. 100% agree with that. But I will actually, if, if an athlete has the availability to do this, I will have the athlete do some sessions, some intensity sessions, and it's hard, it's hard to contrive this because you've got to have the right environment with the right athlete and things like that. But some sessions add intensity with the poles. And in full admission, I, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's detrimental to their um to their to their aerobic capacity or their aerobic development that they're um that they're trying to seek but I do it not solely from a fitness standpoint I do it so that they can get they can be more versatile with the poles under different conditions because in a race especially for a really good athlete they still have to be able to 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 use poles from a from a coordination standpoint at higher levels of intensity. It's a skill that they have to kind of acquire. So that's my more, more of my rationale uh, behind that philosophy versus anything else. I don't know if you want to interject there in terms of what, what you think about using poles with intensity at the same time in a training environment. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, and I do it, uh, um, that it is important to introduce when, when an athlete is, uh, uh, can use poles during uh, normal slow running, slow trail running uh, training, it is important to, to introduce some um, interval trainings or some sections in which uh, uh, increase the intensity uh, with, with poles. And uh, it is important to, to remind that when you use poles at the same uh, uh, for example, the same vertical speed, you can uh, have a higher heart rate because you use more muscles. So the, the work that you are doing, the internal workload that you have can be higher. So uh, you can you can obtain benefits from some specific training with pause, um, in particular in, in those athletes who are not able to run fast on flat. I mean, uh, if an athlete cannot run on fast because, uh, for example, he has um, some kind of pain in uh, in uh, his legs and uh, uh, he say, okay, uh, I cannot go to my 
90% of heart rate or 95% of my heart rate, maximum heart rate. And, uh, but he said, I can do the same work, cardiovascular work during uphill with pulse. Uh, I, 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 I say, okay, let's do it. We can do this work up low, um, uphill during uphill with pulse. Uh, Obviously, the speed will be slower compared to the running uh, interval training, but but the cardiovascular um, stimulation maybe it is even higher. Right. So you you can you can obtain the same or maybe even better. It is difficult to compare. Uh, I think there are not studies which uh, it is compare the different the training with pause and uh, without pause the same type of training. And uh, to say which one is better, uh, but uh, uh, for my experience, I say that it is easier to to reach a higher heart rate when you use pulse. So uh, and the the rate of perceived session is lower. So you can you can give to your body a higher uh, stimulation, a higher stress uh, with uh, low. Uh, rate uh, of uh, with a low perceived uh, effort. So I think for this reason, it is important and it can be important to use pause for interval training and for high intensity um, sessions. Then for elite athletes, it's important for the reason that, that yeah. you said uh, that during their race, maybe they have to be able to to coordinate uh, uh, during a full gas uh, sprint or something like that. So they they have to be able to use uh, the right coordination between arms and legs. We see this phenom- the first phenomenon that you mentioned, um, where the athlete's speed capabilities limit their cardiovascular output at the kind of the recreational or the everyday athlete all of the time in ultra running situations. They're not fast enough on flat level ground to elicit a very high VO2 response or that speed limits the amount of time that they can spend at those intensities or the or the absolute intensity that they can achieve and or both simply because they just don't have the foot speed. We, we see that all the time in, in, in the lab and we also kind of see it in, in the, um, in the, uh, uh, in a real world setting. So to slow the speed down just by introducing an uphill condition, either with poles or without poles is a good, in my opinion, is a good workaround to achieve those cardiovascular benefits or that cardiovascular output without having speed be the limiting factor because it's normally not a consequence. Like somebody's raw foot speed in an ultramarathon event, even a 50 mile or 50 K ultramarathon event for an everyday runner, their raw foot speed is normally not that big of a, of a, of a limiting factor. So your consequence isn't that great. So the fact that you're saying that it would be reasonable to look at doing uphill work with poles and that eliciting a more robust cardiovascular response, higher heart rates, higher VO2s mm-hmm. could potentially lead to better adaptations. I, I think that that's a reasonable extension as well. Yeah, the different in this case is the, the biomechanical right. um, as, uh, work that you are doing, the range of motion of uh, of the ankle or uh, the, the knee or uh, hip. Uh, 
that uh, um, work in a different uh, way between uphill walking and flat running, level running. So we have to take into account. So this we have maybe uh, the same or a better cardiovascular um, stimulation and adaptation, but then we have to adapt even for uh, by a uh, muscular point of view because the mus- muscles are have, uh, have to to work uh, in the right elongation and uh, so it is important both training on level and uphill, but. During appeal, we can use the pose for uh, for uh, uh, an, to 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 reach a point, a target, heart rate that maybe the, that athletes can uh, reach on level uh, on level running. Good. I'm glad we I'm glad we went down that cardiovascular rabbit hole a little bit. Um, it was actually in my notes, but I totally spaced on on bringing it up. Okay. The, so the last piece in terms of the practical take home. Uh, for the athletes that are maybe not used to using poles, but they are going to be in a race situation where it might be advantageous for them. It's okay if it's ugly. It's okay if you feel maybe a little bit clumsy or you don't look so great in, great in pictures. Yeah. The efficiency or the economy will gradually improve over time, but it doesn't have to be perfect, right? You don't have to look for perfect technique. Yeah, and uh, in the picture, you will be perfect in a couple of years if you use pulse every week. Look at the long term. I love it. All right, man. All right, we're going to let you go. That was really fun. Uh, we're going to have to bring so, you back so on. Train for your picture. Yeah, there you go. Train for your picture. Have it, have it be like an Olympic cycle, like a four-year process, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Um, hey, if people want to get in touch with you, Nicola, how can they do that? Where can they find you? Where they Where can they find more? about your research uh they can find me on facebook uh, on my page nicola giovanelli and uh, also on instagram or uh, i have a website with my email info at uh, nicola giovanelli.com so they can find every information uh, out there and uh, they can contact me whenever they want awesome man well i'll have links to all of those in the show notes Thank you for nerding out with me a little bit on polls. I'm sure it's going to be the first of many. I hope uh, once the COVID fog lifts over everything, I can uh, get back out to your neck of the woods and we can uh, go out for a trail run somewhere with polls. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Thank you. All right. There you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Nicola for being on the podcast today. Always appreciate your expertise and your passion for trekking poles. And I hope to get out to the Dolomites soon and check out your stomping grounds. Big thanks to Jackson Brill for this podcast and connecting Nicola and I. Really appreciate that, Jackson. That helps me out tremendously. And on that note, we have a couple of new coaches joining the CTS staff, including Jackson Brill, who's been on a previous episode of this podcast. If you think that one of our coaches that have been featured on this podcast or any one of our coaching staff is the right coach for you to get you ready for one of your audacious goals this summer, hit me up on social media or go to our website, trainright.com. You can find out information about all of our coaching packages there. 
That's it today for this episode of the Coopcast. Appreciate everybody listening. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.